0: Would you please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. You remember in the prelude to the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out out of the house of slavery, we said that there are three reasons in the prelude that show us that we should obey God and His commandments. First, he says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. He is the sovereign king over all His creation. For that reason alone, we should obey. Secondly, He says, I am the Lord your God. He's our God. In other words, He has covenanted with us. He's adopted us. And this draws us to obedience as well. But thirdly, He recites that He has redeemed us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's redeemed each of us from slavery to sin and for this reason as well we owe him our allegiance and our obedience it's not just in the prelude it's all through deuteronomy indeed through the the bible this is deuteronomy 26 saying much the same verse 17 you have declared today that i sorry you have declared today that the lord yahweh is your god and that you will walk in His ways, and keep His statutes, and His commandments, and His rules, and will obey His voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for His treasured possession, as He has promised you, and that you are to keep all His commandments, and that He will set you in praise, and in fame, and in honor, high above all the nations, that He has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as He promised. We are His treasured possession as His church. Uh, Israel was a shadow of the, the praise and the fame and the honor that would come to the church of Jesus Christ after His resurrection, after the day of Pentecost. So we look at every way that we can obey the commandments and the rules of God. We want to obey His voice. So let's look at the commandments just quickly. Um, The first one we've already studied, um, that we should have no other gods before him. So he tells us who the object of our worship should be. The object of our worship is God. God alone. This is the commandment. It's the primary commandment. Love God alone. That's it. You know, our hearts as Calvin said, are idol-making factories constantly bringing up new things to worship, new things to honor besides God. Yet God will be the only object of worship. It's commandment one. Secondly, we saw the means by which He is to be worshipped. There would be no graven images. There would be nothing added to His Word when it comes to worship. The regulative principle was based on the second commandment. We only do in worship what He has commanded us to do in the Scriptures. And then thirdly, this third commandment, we see the manner of worship. The reverence and the awe and the wonder in all the ways that He's revealed Himself to us. So we're going to read verse 11. This is Deuteronomy 5, verse 11. Please stand for the reading of this holy inspired Word of God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray again. God, it is our desire truly to obey your commandments. It's our heart's desire to lift up your holy name. Truly, our spirits are willing. And you know how weak our flesh is. You know all of the the pride and the hypocrisy and all of the, the darkness in our hearts that would keep us from worshiping You well. Please help us, Lord. Open our eyes. Soften us. That we might live lives that please You and honor Your holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you thought of how we pray in Jesus' name? We'll talk about that more. What does that mean? Our hearts would tend to think that it's kind of a magic little word you have to say at the end of a prayer and then it gets more power or something. It's not what we're saying. In Jesus' name. Well, we'll talk about it in a moment. I get ahead of myself. So the rejection of God's commandments by culture, I think, is expected. Satan hates God's commands. The world following Satan hates God's commands. So of course, culture is going to reject all the commands of God. And to the extent that they do not reject the commands of God, it's just God's sovereign grace. It's His restraining grace that things aren't as wicked as they could be. Throughout history, we've seen a spectrum of intensity of this rejection. I'm not convinced like so many people are that the world is just spinning into a spiral down into nothing. I think it's been a lot worse before. I think in the time of Noah, it was much worse. We were down to one family that honored God. But we have seen a spectrum of rejection throughout history and any limit to the wickedness of culture is just by the grace of God. But I think you would have to be stupid not to think that in America over the past 20 years, something's changed and it's been for the worse. Maybe 30 years. This deterioration in moral purity as a culture. Many would argue that it's a rejection of the Sabbath, of the Lord's Day, even by the church is indicative of the moral decay and only feeds into the moral decay that we've seen. Certainly, that's probably partly right. Depending on the work of the church and the grace of God, we see just many of the other commandments of God completely ignored. One of the indicators, one barometer that we can use to see the deterioration of culture, certainly the seventh commandment, we'll see it later, but it's seen in the language that we use as people. And you might say, well, people have always cursed. And this is true. But profanity profanity certainly seems much more palatable now to culture than it ever has, at least when I was young. The the profanity always trends downward, and it reflects something about us as a people. Our lips are used for wickedness. Great defiance to God. Think of all the names of God and how they're used in profanity. Why? Well, because Satan hates God. People don't know what they're saying, but Satan knows exactly what they're saying. And in their hearts, they know they're cursing God. But from God, it it, it travels even farther down. Sexual kinds of cursing and then unnatural sexual kind of cursing. And on and on, there's new and more depraved ways to curse, it seems every day. Well, the problem is God created language and He created language for His own glory and using it for His name is how language should be used. And for this reason, all swearing and all improper language is religious in the sense that we're breaking the commandment. But this commandment is more than just about words. It's more than just the words that come out of our mouth, although it includes that. We're going to look at that in this third commandment. I'm going to explain the text um, the best I can. Then we're going to talk about the doctrine of the text. And then we're going to strive to apply this text. My God help us. Okay, so <clears throat> the big picture of this particular commandment is honoring God. Honoring the name of God. So let's look at verse 11. Look at verse 11 with me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The word you is a singular second person you. So it's personal. It would be as if I'm looking at you and saying you personally. So certainly God is speaking to the entire nation of Israel, but He's also speaking to individuals. He's speaking to every one of His people. This is a personal commandment. You shall not. You know, many of the commandments are in a negative form. Why is that? Is it because God only thinks negatively? No, it's because the world is filled with all kinds of evil. And He's calling us to separate ourselves from that. There's a sharp contrast that should exist between the covenant community of God, that's us, and the evil of the world. The fallen race of men who follow the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. We do not act like they do. God is holy and we are to be holy. We don't live according to the pattern of this world. We are to be different. We are to think differently. We are to speak differently. And we are to act differently. So the negative commands remind us that we have a sin nature and that the world is also pressing in against us. There's a war within our souls and there's also a war coming at us. And we'll be tempted to break the commandments in thought in word, and in deed, often. We're commanded to restrain our sinful desires. That's it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we're to restrain these desires. To break the commandments. Well, I don't swear. I guess I'm good on the third commandment. No. We're going to talk about that. It's more than the words out of your mouth. It's the thoughts and attitudes of your heart that God is desiring. So you shall not take, shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This word take is a common word in the Hebrew. It means to carry, to lift, or sustain. To take the name of Yahweh is to carry it, to bear it. In other words, you don't bear the name of Yahweh, you don't bear the name of God in vain. Now the name. The name of Yahweh, the name of God. As we've said, this is a a loaded phrase. The name of something in the ancient Near East was more than just the proper name. My name is Richard. Like that's the very minimal part of what it means to have a name or to bear the name. In the ancient Near East, it implied everything about the person. To take someone's name, to bear someone's name is more than just saying the name. It includes the entire character of the person. The entire mission of the person. Everything about their work. Their honor. Their purpose. Anything related to the true God. His being and His nature. His will. His works. His worship. Anything related to the service that we render Him. Or the doctrine concerning Him. That's how William Plumer described His name. You see, that's that's all of our worship. That's everything that He's revealed Himself to us with, including His Word. So it seems that understanding what is meant by the name of Yahweh, the name of the Lord, like this is the key to obeying this commandment. If you don't understand what it means, then you can't obey it. So what is the name of the Lord? Well, We're going to talk about that. I was shocked how little I understood the implications of this concept. It's just this this religious language ease. We talk about the name of Jesus. The name of God. But we don't really know what we're saying. We're not grasping what it means. So we're going to talk about that as well. Well, what is the name of the Lord? The name of Yahweh? The proper name of God is Yahweh. And in most Bibles, it's represented by L-O-R-D in all caps. It's the translator's way of honoring the Masorite scribes who refused to say or write the name Yahweh. And to honor these men, they translate it Lord, L-O-R-D. But there's nothing in the Scriptures that prevents us from saying the name of God. I'm fine with the translation, Lord. It's okay. But that's not God's name. His name is Yahweh, as best we understand the pronunciation. His name is Yahweh. There are four letters in the Hebrew alphabet. That's God's name. And it's Yahweh. It's not Lord. It's found thousands of times in the Bible. It's found all through the Psalms. David prayed to Yahweh, to the Lord, over and over. This is a personal name of God, and He's revealed it to us. It's a special thing. The fact that we're afraid to say it or don't say it for some reason, some tradition following some Masorite tradition, I don't get it. He's revealed His name to us. He's given us that name. We're to use it well. So do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not take the name of Yahweh in vain. What's the opposite? It's implied that we do honor the name of Yahweh properly. So I have no problem at all with art in Sunday school, using the name Yahweh over and over and over again. That's what the Word says. The fact that it's not translated exactly as it's written is fine, but the name is Yahweh. His name is not Lord. Lord is a title, actually, isn't it? But again, I don't want to get tied up in using the name Yahweh or Lord. That's the point is that we honor his name. I still feel freedom to use Lord or Yahweh as long as I'm honoring each one as the name of God, and you should as well. The point is that it's his personal name given revealed to us. That's amazing. That's amazing that he would tell us his name. And then he says, I am Yahweh. But he's our God. Do not take the name of Yahweh. Your God. Do you see that? It's not Yahweh, this deity that we're not allowed to look at or talk to. He's saying, I'm yours. I'm your God. We're reminded these commands are are not like some pagan deity. Not, you know, God is not some some mythological Zeus-like God who is capricious and throwing thunder and killing people randomly for making Him angry. No. Our Lord, Yahweh, He's our God. He's personal. He's revealed Himself to, to His people. So as wickedly as His name is used by evil men in public, so holily should we use His name in worship? He's covenanted with us that we would be His people and He would be our God. And we should not take the name of the Lord, of Yahweh, our God, in vain. This, this word vain is worthless or false or vain. In a worthless or vain manner, it's forbidden. In Malachi 6, Malachi is a, the entire book of Malachi is a correction to right worship. And in Malachi 1, verse 6, he's, he's introducing this concept that you have to change how you worship. Why? He said, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, this is God talking, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts, saith Yahweh of hosts to you, O priests that despise my name. And you say, how have we despised your name? And he tells them all the rest of Malachi, how? In worship. You despise my name. So you see, not honoring the name of God is more than just not saying His name in vain. It's despising all the ways. It's using or misusing all of the ways that He's revealed Himself to us, including His worship, wrongly. So that's the text. Let's move on to the doctrine behind the text, although we've all we've touched on much of it already. The first two commandments are given by God in the first person. If you'll notice that, I am, this is the first commandment, I am. The Lord your God. First person. Have no other gods before me. Second commandment. I am a jealous God. But in the third commandment, he switches to the third person. He doesn't say you shall not take my name in vain. He wants wants us to focus on His name. He says you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. The entire command is centered on a right use of His name. So he uses his name in the commandment. Again, Plumer says the scope of this, William Plumer is a 19th century Southern theologian. The scope of this commandment is to secure the holy and reverent use of all that whereby God makes himself known to his people, and so to guard his sacred name against all that is calculated to make it contemptible. So God's name means everything related to His person, His work, and His worship. So to not carry or take that name in vain is to reverence and honor and glorify God in all the ways that He's revealed Himself to us. This means that we worship God with sincerity and with reverence in our hearts. Not just when we come here, but in all the ways that we approach Him. This is so convicting to me sometimes i'll i'll be in the morning and drinking my coffee and reading the bible and it's just it is a wonderful time of blessing if you have that this this godly discipline in your life you know how special that time is but sometimes the the specialness of it will lull my heart into thinking that it's somehow an easy thing it's somehow That God is just right here with me and He's got His feet propped up too and He's drinking His coffee with me or something. I'm not thinking that, but you know, there's no reverence. There's not the reverence that I have holding God's holy Word in my hands and the Holy Spirit living in me and lifting my heart up to the throne of God. Oh, how I want to to honor the Lord. In all of our approaches to God, we should be honoring Him. I remember Dr. Spruill on, I think it was one of his Holiness of God, in a series where someone said to him, or maybe it's just in the book, I can't remember, but someone said to him, hey pastor, would you come over and, and, and just pray a little prayer for us? And he exploded on the guy. He's like, little prayer? What are you talking about? We're lifting up a prayer to Almighty God. There's no little prayer. He, he honored God as holy in his heart. It was offensive to him that there's any such thing as a a little prayer. Just say a little prayer before supper for us. And yet such all of our hearts do if we are not aware. We need to reverence him as we worship him as well. God is a spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. When we come to worship God, we're We're worshiping Him reverently. Yes, it's a joy and it's great joy to be in fellowship together. To sing God's praise. But we cannot forget that we're coming to the Almighty God to glorify His holy name. Our shorter catechism teaches us that the third commandment requires holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. And the third commandment forbids all profaning and abusing of anything whereby God makes Himself known to us. That's a fairly comprehensive definition of honoring the name of God. As I said before, I think the key to understanding the commandment is to understand what is meant by the name of Yahweh. If you're going to obey the commandment, you have to understand it. That this is God Himself, His proper name, yes, but all of His revelation to mankind. So as we go through, I'm going to tie some points of application in the Scriptures and explain the name of God to the best I can, to the best of my ability. God is certainly dedicated to honoring His own name. Honoring His own name is the highest glory of God. His own glory and the sanctification of His own name can be the highest and most glorious thing for God because He is the highest and most glorious of anything in the universe. So how does He apply this to us? Well, we are enabled by His Spirit to keep His commandments. We are enabled by His Spirit to think right right thoughts of God. We are enabled by His Spirit to understand the Word of God to set ourselves apart from the world and to worship Him. You might think too, well, this is a great Old Testament study. It's actually all over the New Testament as well. It's, it's a principle of Scripture. Have you forgotten that in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed or holy, be Your name when Christ taught His apostles to pray, this was the very first petition in the prayer. Jesus is saying, this is the first thing you ask for. You pray for God's holy name to be honored, to be glorified. Again, our catechism says when we pray this, we're praying that God would enable us and others to glorify Him In all the ways He makes Himself known to mankind. And that He would dispose all things to His own glory. Amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones noticed that before we begin to think of ourselves at all when we pray this prayer, before we begin to think of our own needs, before we even have any prayers for the concerns of others, we start our prayers with a great concern about God, His honor, and His glory. And the Lord's Prayer mirrors the Ten Commandments in many ways. I think as Pastor Bradley has shown us, this is clearly seen in this first petition. Holy be Your name. Be glorified in Your name. Be glorified in Your person. Be glorified in Your works. Be glorified in Your Word. In Your worship. Be glorified. Be set apart as holy. Be honored and magnified. Be highly exalted on the earth by all men, especially by your church. By your family. And in my own heart, this is what we say when we pray, holy be thy name. This should be the the yearning of our hearts. The problem is when we pray this, we know how far we fall. And we know how far we are from actually obeying. That's why we have to pray that God would would do this, that He would glorify His holy name in my heart, in my family, in my church, in all the world, holy be Thy name. But we also see in the New Testament, Jesus not only teaching us to pray for God's holiness and His glory to be over all the earth, but that honoring Jesus Christ is actually honoring the name of the Lord as well. He's the incarnate God. To uh, honor the name of Jesus is also to obey the third commandment and to dishonor the name of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the mission of Jesus. And this church is to break the third commandment. Watch how often this phrase, the name, comes up. This is just a small sampling of New Testament Scripture. Acts 2.21 and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Matthew eighteen twenty, Where two or three are gathered in My name, there I am among them. John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in My name, this I will do. If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it. You can see how now that you understand more about what it means to pray in His name, to understand the phrase in His name, it's not a magic potion to say Jesus in Jesus' name and then you get what you want. To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray in accordance with all of His work, all of His mission, all of His glory, all of His attributes, all of His word. And certainly, if you're praying in the name of Jesus, in the fullest sense of the term, of course, everything you ask will be done. Because you'll be praying like Jesus, Lord, not my will, but Yours be done. That's a prayer that will always be answered. Philippians 2, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. when Peter was being questioned about how he healed a man, he said, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you. So the name of Jesus is akin to the name of Yahweh, their God. So we desire to honor God's name, His Son, His Son's name. His worship, his works—it's all one. His attributes, his person, in all the ways that he's revealed himself to mankind. And the mission of Jesus, and the mission of the church, is—is just—it's in the the woof and the warp of the gospel that we honor the name of God. We read John 17. If you would actually open your Bibles to John 17 with me, I'd like to go through some of these Scriptures before we're out of time. John 17. It says that He had been manifested, or He had been manifesting the name of the Father to the disciples, to the world. Verse 6, I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. If you remember in John chapter 1, we are told that no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Jesus has made Him known. He has manifested the Father. He has exegeted the Father for us. He showed us the Father. He's manifested the name of God to us. By His life, by His words, by His work. He's revealed the Father to us. The Word of God. Jesus. Jesus is the name of God. Look at verse 7. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. So also part of the name is that everything Jesus has given is from the Father. Verse 8, I have given them words that you gave me. The words that Jesus gave us. The Word of God itself is part of the name of God. So as you read all through chapter 17, there's actually one more part I want to point out to you. Excuse me. Sorry, I can't find it. I'll find it later. So God's name, God's name in John 17 manifested to all the earth is seen in Jesus Himself, His words, His truth, His glory, everything that He's been given by the Father to reveal to man. All this is part of His name. He shows us the Father. He protects and sanctifies us. He gives glory. Glory to God. This is how we give glory to God. We follow in His steps. This is how we honor His name. So, let's talk quickly about how we apply this doctrine to our lives. The larger catechism, as it always does, is complete, almost complete, in its scriptural application of this text. It says the third commandment requires that the name of God, His titles, His attributes, His ordinances, the Word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, lots, His works, and whatever else there is, they're saying anything else we missed, whatever else there is whereby He makes Himself known to be holily and reverently used in thought, meditation, word, and writing by a holy profession, an answerable conversation to the glory of God and to the good of ourselves and others. So first we see that we reverence God. If you want to obey this commandment, you come to God with reverence in all. O Lord, our God, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Psalm 8. It's in our thoughts. We reverence God in our thoughts. This is David thinking about God. In our words as well. Psalm 105. We reverence God's name. Psalm 105. O give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. And indeed, Isaiah 8. But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear. Let Him be your dread. We reverence Him specifically as well in all the ways He makes Himself known. The names of God themselves. In Exodus, God told Moses that His name was Yahweh. This was His name forever. Thus He's to be remembered throughout all generations. But God has revealed Himself to us in other names, hasn't He? Yeshua, Jesus, Messiah, the Christ. Yeshua itself means in Hebrew, God is salvation. There are many names that God gives us and all of them show a different aspect of His holy name. We reverence all the attributes of God as well. Every one of His attributes should be spoken of with reverence and awe. I remember uh, in seminary, the, one of the very first classes I attended, the president of the university was teaching that particular class and it was touching on the holiness of God and the attributes of God. Um, the president of the university was the one teaching the class. And he said, and you remember, God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And then he went on. And then he stopped and he said, okay, God forgive me. That was horribly sinful. We're talking about the Almighty God. Our God is infinite. He's eternal. And He's unchangeable. And we spent the next 30 minutes talking about His attributes. He had a reverence for the attributes of God because they reflect God's character. We have an, a reverence for the ordinances of God. The reading and teaching and preaching and hearing of the Word. The administration of the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. The offering up of our private and public prayers. The fellowship of the saints. We have reverence His name in taking oaths and vows to God. That's why when... when Little Felicity is taking her vows before the church. There's great joy there, but there's also uh, an understanding that we must continue to train her and instruct her in the ways of God because she's taken holy vows, as you all have if you're a member of this church. So any heedless, wandering, drowsy performance of God's word is the the Puritans would say, this is sinful. May God help us all. Any light or irreverent use of the Scriptures in our joking, in our scoffing ways, God, be be merciful to us. We We should honor the name of God and avoid all ignorant or vain or irreverent or profane or superstitious or wicked mentioning Of anything where God has made himself known. Certainly, it includes all sinful oaths and curses. Brothers and sisters, we just need to clean up our mouths. If you can't, my dad said, he would laugh if he heard me saying this because we hated him saying it so much. He said it so often. If you can't say anything good, then don't say anything at all. You bang your finger with a hammer. Keep your mouth closed. Or pray to God. Lord God, this hurts. Ouch! Help me. The words that come out of our mouths should honor God. So, when we think of all that God requires, we need secondly to remember the great and infinite wonderful patience of God. He bears with us sinners like us. He's long-suffering with His children. Even if He judged us with the most severe judgments, He would be justified in doing so, and yet He's patient with us. And He greatly delights the fact that we desire to fear and reverence His holy name. So be encouraged if you tremble at His Word. Be encouraged if you desire to, to correct what is in your heart that dishonors His name or your practice. Because this is a commandment with a consequence. Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Certainly we've all broken this commandment, but are you going to continue? Or are you going to repent? There is grace for covenant breakers. Let me close with this. Open to Ezekiel 36. Great grace for covenant breakers for those who would desire to honor God and yet continue to dishonor Him. He's training us. He's teaching us. Look at verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord Yahweh, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of My great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate My holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanness. From all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God." It's for the sake of His holy name that we are even in the family of God. That He's had mercy upon us. It's not because we're just really good at obeying His commands or honoring His name. We are not. But it's for the sake of His holy name that He's brought us into His family and that He's caused us to desire to obey His law. But the name of God is more than just a a command that is surrounded by negatives. Do not dishonor the name. That's not what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this blessing that you're all very familiar with. It's Numbers chapter 6. This is how Moses and Aaron were to put the name of God on the people with this blessing. This is what it means to to bear the name of God from God's perspective. Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put My name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You see, much more than just watching out what we say or do, having the name of God, carrying the name of God, is a life of blessing. It's a life of honor. It's a life of privilege. It's a life of grace and mercy. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank You that You have given us Your name. You revealed Yourself to us. You've caused us to understand Your Word. We pray that You would correct our hearts. You would correct our deeds. You would correct our, our words. That we would honor Your holy name. Lord, every way that You've revealed Yourself to us, all that You've told us in Your Word, that we would hold it up in high esteem. That we would have such high standards for maintaining the honor of Your name. That our lives would be changed this day by Your Spirit. That in the name of Jesus, our hearts would bow before You. We would seek the glory of you.